Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and soon-to-be-retired Senator Joe Manchin says Trump will destroy America if he wins. Really? You don't say. Perhaps he'll reconsider running for president with no labels. We have such a great show today. Congressman Wiley Nickel joins us to talk about the oh-so-important gerrymandering happening in North Carolina. Then we'll talk to Talking Feds host Harry Lippman about Trump's latest legal fuckery and, of course, my mother. But first... We have the host of the Lawrence O'Donnell show, MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Lawrence. Always great to be here. We had to have you on for a number of reasons, because when things get chaotic. Just pick one, okay? (laughs) it's, It's early. Just pick one. One of the things that I struck by is you have such experience working in the Senate. And we had this wild kind of insane congressional week. I mean, I'm just curious your take as someone who has actually worked in the institution. I mean, with the CR and now it's they're going to do this. They're going to kick the can until 24. I'm just curious what your take on that. is. It's a good thing that it's been a gradual decline. And so so I've processed a bunch of these moments that bring us ultimately to the thing where Bernie Sanders becomes a wrestling referee. I mean, that thing was the ugliest thing that I've ever seen publicly in the Senate. I, you know, I saw 
a couple of ugly private, very private moments in the Senate. But I don't know. It's probably been like a 15 year decline into that. I want to pause and just talk about what you were talking about. This was a hearing where Bernie Sanders had to interrupt a senator from Oklahoma who was threatening the life of the president of the Teamsters Union or he was challenging yeah. him to an MMA fight. Yeah, every everybody's seen this crazy video of, of this guy <laughs> who, who, by the way, the clue to the madness that was going to come is this is the senator who's decided to bring the Jim Jordan dress code to the United States Senate and, uh, you know, sit there without the suit code. But it's the kind of thing where, you know, when you see your former workplace degraded into something ridiculous from something, by the way, that you fully respected. You know, I mean, when right. I worked there, I fully respected it. And I also thought when I worked there in the 1990s that this was the low point of the United States Senate because it had become <laughs> by the definition of, say, the 60s, 70s and 80s, by the mid 90s, it had become dysfunctional. And now right. you look back at that and you go, oh, no, no, that was great compared to where we are now. And everybody adhered to a code of, of at least public behavior. And the big thing is they just were not as stupid. You know, the, the American voter in Republican states was not in the business of finding the stupidest person, which they've now succeeded at. And here's, here's the decline. You can measure the decline this way. Okay. Here's this Oklahoma senator who is, you know, challenging somebody to a fist fight in a hearing when I was there, the Oklahoma senator was a Yale man who was, of course, secretly gay and had this entourage of very, very attractive young male staffers around him and a Democrat, by the way. So all of those things, right? You, you had a gay Yale Democrat uh, senator from Oklahoma when I was there. And now you have this uh, that and you just couldn't ask for a, a more dramatic illustration just be, in, in that way of what it's become. And it's ridiculous, you know, and it's pathetic. And it's um, and, and right by the way, right across the street, you have every right to the same feelings if you uh, ever worked in the Supreme Court of the United States. You know, if you were a Supreme Court clerk in the 1990s and really, you know, up in into the beginning of the 21st century, you had a right to an air of pride, you know, about what you'd done. And I have to say, you know, of all the intro items someone can have. I remember meeting a guy at, at a New York party uh, a minute after someone whispered to me, he was a Supreme Court clerk. And right. I instantaneously changed like, oh, my God, I, I just immediately changed me completely. And I went, oh, my God, there's someone really smart here. Oh, wow. Right. You know, and, right. then, and I was like, <laughs> I was kind of intimidated, like, OK, I have to be really careful now when I talk to him. You know, that currency has been completely destroyed. <laughs> and and so, uh, you know, by the, the Clarence Thomas Supreme Court and the John Roberts Supreme Court. I think it's kind of hopeless. I don't expect those institutions to probably ever recover because Republicanism is just on a one-way street to stupidity. They've arrived there and, <laughs> and there's no way out. Once you're living in stupidity, there is no way out. So let's talk about that Supreme Court. This week, the Supreme Court decided that they were going to create an ethics code that was with no enforcement. <laughs> I mean, what's your hot take on that? My take on that is it's a good thing. And so right. it's not everything and it's not the best thing. But you went from nothing to something. And that's my experience in government is that you take those 
wins. You know, we call them wins, but you have to think of it, you know, as a 18 inning baseball game, you know, and if something good happens in the third inning, good. You know, you know, it's not over. You know, there's more to do. I recognize how the coverage has come to the point where the very first thing said about it was <laughs> there's no enforcement. That's And it's a fair point, you know, and unfortunately, the only enforcement on Supreme Court justices has always been impeachment. That's the only enforcement. And it's an extremely heavy mechanism to try to use and you need the two thirds vote. And so, you know, it's never happened. But by the way, it has happened multiple times for federal judges. Routinely, the United States Senate impeaches and removes from office federal judges. And it and it happens with remarkably low visibility. You know, I, mem- I remember in the 90s, we had this uh, you know, judicial impeachment trial going on in the Senate. And we would do it for like, you know, an hour a day, you know, for <laughs> over, over like it took about a couple of weeks and you'd, and you'd forget about it, you know, and you, but you'd realize, oh no, we don't have the floor for the tax bill from 10 to 11 a.m. because they're impeaching a federal judge. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I remember that, you know, and so, which by the way is the way it should be. I yeah. wish those things were taken as a more routine and likely outcome to human behavior is that, of course, you're going to have to impeach some. So that's the problem is the enforcement part of it. But look, it is absolutely going to change Clarence Thomas's behavior somewhat. But the trouble and the, the problem there is, of course, he's already fully corrupted. So it doesn't matter. Like if he does everything right from this day forward, he's fully corrupted. He's taken hundreds of thousands of dollars directly in effect in cash, you know, in this loan to purchase this thing, this, you know, rolling home of his. (laughs) And then you don't have to pay back the loan. That's not a loan. You know, that's somebody just gave you cash and you took it and they gave you cash only because you're a Supreme Court justice. That person only met you because you were a Supreme Court justice. It's something, though. I liked a bunch of things about those rules. I also was highly amused at the section that the chief justice wrote specifically to allow his wife to make $9 million a year from law firms (laughs) that appear before the Supreme Court. And let's just remember, these are all challenges that have occurred because of progress. When the founders were creating the Supreme Court, there wasn't a wife in Washington who had a job. And every Supreme Court justice was supposed to be a man forever, and none of their wives were ever supposed to work. So there was never supposed to be a Ginny Thomas problem or the chief justice's wife problem. None of those problems were supposed to exist. And so we have a governmental structure that doesn't know how to deal with those problems. Yeah. It's interesting because this Supreme Court is quite obsessed with this originalism, this idea that you can't make gun laws. There's, you know, Bruin last semester and now we have Rahini, which is the idea that there was this sort of textualism that if domestic violence didn't exist when the founders wrote the Constitution because it didn't, maybe you should be able to have a gun even if you are in trouble for domestic. So this idea is kind of dovetails, right? The more I reflect on the founders and what they did, the more I see it as not terribly visionary, but in right. fact, terribly imprisoned in its moment. And I, I have to say, I think they'd all be shocked if they came back and they said, you're kidding me. You're paying attention to us 200 years later. That's crazy. We didn't right. know about airplanes or, you know, <laughs> nuclear weapons or antitrust, like no one had ever even thought of antitrust then, you know? So I think they'd quite reasonably be shocked that anyone was paying attention to it and treating it like it's some divine work. The Bible. You know? Yeah, it's the Ten <laughs> Commandments, you know. And in fact, the 
proper way to uh, approach justice is justice. You know, the principle guiding my uh, Supreme Court opinion is justice. I think it is just that the following things happen. Uh, the idea that like, no, 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 I've got to find, I've got to find somebody way back there, preferably in English common law in 1612, <laughs> you know, and and if I'm lucky, I can cite a legal source from England in 1612 who was not a witch prosecutor, right. uh, which is, which is of course what they did cite in the crazy abortion decision. They cited two guys from England who were prosecutors of witches who strongly believed in and got the death penalty for witches. They cited them as legal authorities. Now, that's madness. You know, that's Alito clerks being utterly insane and uneducated, like like shockingly uneducated. And, and so it's a it's a ludicrous pursuit that they're in when the guiding principle of every Supreme Court opinion should simply be justice. It's funny because one of the things I think about is this lie that this was about states' rights, that overturning Roe was really bringing abortion back to the states. And you're seeing these arguments with the methopristone, with the abortion pills, that by allowing it to stay on the market, we're going to talk about the Comstock Act, because that, I think, is the next Republican play when it comes to abortion, despite the fact that they cannot stop losing on this topic, which is so amazing to me. But they seem not to care. So I'm curious in your mind, like this disconnect between having wildly unpopular ideas and just keeping going with them. I mean, is that because the Republican Party is hostage to its base or am I missing something? It's because you have Republicans in office now whose entire lives were consumed with the abortion debate. You know, these 40 year old, 40 something uh, Republican office holders in state legislatures, they were born into a Republicanism that was publicly opposed to Roe versus Wade. The Republicans who started that crusade started it based on this little slice of polling that they found, you know, in Ronald Reagan's early polling that indicated there was a band at the time that looked like it might be as much as three or four percent who were single issue voters who would vote for anyone who said, I want to get rid of Roe versus Wade. That's the reason it entered the Republican platform. It it no, they wasn't in it before they found it in polling, right? The older people who did this didn't believe it. They did it in a completely cynical way. And they they were very happy with it because they believed that Roe versus Wade was the law of the land. It was going to stay that way forever. Therefore, we can fundraise on this forever. And we can command the loyalty of this voting block, the anti-abortion voting block forever. And we'll never have to deliver on it because the Supreme Court has taken care of it. And by the way, it worked in a similar way on the Democratic side. The Democratic Party didn't start as the pro Roe versus Wade party. They were positioned into that because of the what the Republican Party choice was, which was to be anti Roe versus Wade. And so the Democratic Party was fundraising on it and asking for your vote on it. And they believed they were going to be able to do this forever because Roe versus Wade was going to last forever. Don't be surprised if you are you know, baptizing children into this belief that when they're 40 years old and they're working in state legislatures in Oklahoma and Indiana, don't be surprised if they actually believe the thing you were selling to them. That's part of your problem is that there's a bunch of these Texas legislators and Oklahoma legislators and Indiana legislators who believe this stuff and are now stuck with it. And they live in this isolated 
way in their districts, in their legislative districts where they're fully protected. You know, they're not going to lose their jobs because they're trying to ban abortion. None of them are. And so that thing is just going to keep happening in the the most right wing states. The tricky part is going to be for governors of the states that aren't so right wing on issues like this. If you look at, say, Florida, where they're not so right wing on issues like abortion, if you're running statewide there, you have to be much more careful as a Republican on that issue. I want to ask you about Florida, because I feel like what we're doing here is I have all these theories and I just want you to tell me if they make sense to you and if they're smart or if I'm insane. This is, of course, because I'm a (laughs) well-known expert on Florida. So DeSantis running for president decided that he was going to make Florida a kind of lab of authoritarianism, do all the stuff that they had talked about in Republican primaries, right? Book banning, where woke goes to die, you know, all of those kind of sound bites turned into legislation because he had a very right wing legislative body, state legislature, so he could really go crazy. Do you think that this has actually scared voters in other states? I mean, do you think it's had an effect or do you think it exists in a vacuum? I think it didn't work as the one thing I'm sure of, because he wasn't doing it. He didn't care about Florida. He was doing it for Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. He was doing it for Republican primary voters who he had a right to believe were crazy. And he wanted to sound as crazy as they are. And it just hasn't worked. And what's really funny about how much it hasn't worked is the latest polling that I just happened to see this morning on the state of Florida shows Donald Trump at 60 percent and DeSantis going down. He's he's gone down below where he was before. So he's down around 20 or so. Right. So he's in, in, in a Florida primary. He will get absolutely destroyed if he's still a candidate. And the mission of kind of presidential candidates on their way to losing primaries has always been make sure you get out before your state, Uh, you know, which, you know, Tim Scott, for example, has done. But make sure you get out before your state, because what you don't want to do is have someone come into your state and beat you in the presidential primary in your state. And we could all just hope that Ron DeSantis hasn't heard that rule so that he actually does stay in there for this incredible rebuke that he would get right now, right now today, that he would get from Florida voters. So it didn't work with national Republican primary voters and it didn't work in Florida. Donald Trump, who never tried to ban any books, is crushing him in Florida. Yeah, it's it's some real incredible sorcery there. Do you think that Republicans have so overstepped on these culture war issues that they will give it up? Or do you think like abortion, they're just addicted to bad ideas? No, I I think with abortion, you know, Trump's not going to play it and hasn't played it at all. You know, the way these other people play it. He's just going to do this. He's going to he's takes it to a different level of stupidity, which is to say, you know, just elect me president and I will figure out the best formula for, you know, who should get an abortion. And Republican voters apparently are stupid enough to to go with that. But he's playing it much softer than, you know, than any of the others who always believed, you know, you had to play it really hardcore, including George W. Bush. You know, George W. Bush, when John McCain was running against him, John McCain was asked uh, on a, on the bus, you know, uh, well, what if your daughter was pregnant? And McCain 
gave a human answer. He said, well, you know, we would have a family discussion about that. You know, well, that's that obviously includes the possibility of an abortion. Right. So that that answer lasted about, you know, 24 hours because the Bush people just beat him to death on it. And he had to then McCain had to come out and say, no, of course, of course, there'd be absolutely no abortion. You know, he had to be beaten back, you know, into that corner because Bush was so hardcore on abortion. And so Trump is actually, you know, the the softest one they've had on abortion. And it turns out the most effective, you know, because he's the guy who delivered to you the Supreme Court that could do this. Thank you so much. This is so good. It's really, I appreciate you. I only wish the listeners could see your background. It's so hard to concentrate because I'm just <laughs> sitting here reading book titles. You know, that's all I'm doing. Your vision is so good. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Congressman Wiley Nickel represents North Carolina's 3rd District. Welcome to Fast Politics, Representative Nickel. Thanks. I'm so glad to be with you. So first, we're going to talk about gerrymandering. You are a member of Congress from the great state of North Carolina. February 2022, North Carolina Supreme Court blocked the Republican-led state North Carolina state legislature's unconstitutional partisan gerrymander of North Carolina maps, putting in place interim maps for the 2022 election cycle in a 50-50 purple state. There was a huge win for voters in North Carolina. Now, fast forward and tell us where we are now. Like you said, um, our Supreme Court last year drew fair, you know, maps for a, we're a 50-50 state. They drew a map that would elect seven Republicans, six Democrats, and one seat that could have gone either way, a true 50-50 seat. That was the seat that, that I won in the last election. We were one of just six Republican seats that we flipped in the last cycle. Now, obviously, you know, the statewide results weren't as good as we, we needed them to be. We lost two Supreme Court seats, and now it's a five to two Republican court. And the Republicans on our court are just total partisan hacks. So we expect no relief from them on what is a totally egregious and horrible Republican gerrymander that now will elect 10 Republicans, three Democrats, and one seat that's pretty pink, but could stay in our column. It's just not fair. I mean, the voters right. get totally screwed when you have uh, this kind of extreme partisan gerrymandering. How can you push back on this? What can you do? Where are we here? There will be lawsuits. We've been successful around the South with these racial gerrymandering cases. There, there certainly was extreme racial gerrymandering going on with these these Republican maps. So, you know, there will be litigation. We're hopeful that uh, it's successful and uh, we keep our current 7-7 map in place. But, you know, it's an uphill battle and the lawyers have it now. My takeaway from all of this as I'm here in Congress is you have so few seats where voters have a real choice in November yeah. for Congress. And, you know, it's it's really it's probably down to just 30 out of 435 seats that could either that could go either way. The rest are just a total foregone conclusion. And that's why we have such a just dumpster fire of chaos and confusion here in Congress, because, you know, the Republicans could just care less. They are governing for for their Republican primary and their base, and we're not getting anything done. 
Yeah. Let's talk for a minute about this because the partisan gerrymander is really destructive in ways that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand. For example, we see it right now. I mean, with this Republican Party, I don't think this is as true for Democrats. But then again, I am an opinion columnist and that is my opinion. But the Republican Party is really, you know, Chip Roy and Matt Gates are pretty much calling the shots over there. A thousand percent. It's the tail wagging the dog. They're just really stupid uh, <laughs> with their approach to this. I mean, if you game it out, you, you, you get together, you, you settle your differences privately. That's how I understood that Nancy Pelosi ran things in the last Congress. We've moved tons of bills. We moved legislation. We didn't have all this, you know, chaos and confusion and, and constant literally fighting. I mean, that's what we saw this week was literally fighting between Republicans spilling out into public view. But if the Republicans were smart, they would work together and, you know, move a bill through the House and, and negotiate with the Senate and take half a loaf. But they're not even doing that. They can't yeah. even pass their own stupid messaging bills for the budget, which we continue to see these bills that they just can't get a majority of Republicans. They're either too far to the left or too far to the right in terms of Republican stuff. And we've just, we're just not getting it done. And that's a direct result of extreme partisan gerrymandering. Yeah, it's such an interesting problem for Republicans. We keep seeing Johnson bring bills to the floor and not have the votes. Nancy Pelosi never had that problem. Mike Johnson, Kevin McCarthy, they're horrible vote counters. Yeah. That's that's my lesson. Don't bring the bills to the floor unless you've got the votes. They passed this CR. It's a clean CR, but it it doesn't it gets it's this tiered thing, which is basically really nothing, right? It's some expire a month before the other ones. I mean, it's just, it's sort of some way to distract the far right and get him to not have lost his job yet, Mike Johnson. But ultimately, even, I mean, you saw, you know, that this passed, but like once they start having to really negotiate, they're not going to be able to do it. And, you know, Republicans who are supposedly such great friends to Israel, they did not approve any aid to Israel. They did not approve any aid to Ukraine. So none of that stuff happened at all. People should be pissed off. I had my staff compile the bills that have been signed into law. We're up to 21. There's nothing that really helps people. We, we raised the debt ceiling. We've done two CRs. And the rest, you know, you're talking about renaming a VA clinic or a great marine right. coin. Or a post office. Yeah. You know, but the least productive Congress now since the Great Depression at this stage. But, you know, fixing gerrymandering is would would make this place work a lot better. And as, you know, people look at maps that for North Carolina, you know, will 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 guarantee three, maybe four seats that flip from one part to the other just with with the drawing of a few lines, you know, it's something that we gotta fix and we can do it. And and I think when I talk about all the stuff that's happening in Washington, it's it's hard to find a lot of hope in things. But the place I I find hope is in the House and the people I serve with. And, you know, I, I think people listening should know that Hakeem Jeffries is going to be the next Speaker of the House. We are going to take back the House in the next Congress because of all the crazy stuff that the Republicans are doing where they just show they're unfit to govern. But if we want to fix maps. We take back the House. We pass you know, nonpartisan independent redistricting on a, on a nationwide level. We can do that in Congress. And in the Senate, we just got to nuke the filibuster and get 50 votes. 
on a bill that, that does just that. That's that's the best way we'll be able to do it. Yeah. Mike Johnson, he looks more like Paul Ryan, but his heart seems very much like Sidney Powell. How do you have that person as the Speaker of the House? I think it was just sort of a situation where they just needed someone who could get you know, 218 votes from the Republican conference. And they were just tired after three weeks. I think he's in charge. I, you know, I think it's maybe more, maybe more of a, a collaborative effort among other Republican leaders. So I'm not sure, you know, how much leeway he has to really do his own thing. So I, I think that's kind of my question. I don't know the answer, but the thing that makes sense is, is working with Democrats in the Senate and in the House and Republicans in the Senate who want to do the things that the American people think we ought to be doing, supporting Israel, supporting Ukraine, you know, securing the border. Those are things that we're talking about. Yeah. So Republicans had to get Democratic votes to pass the CR. In fact, they got more Democratic votes than Republican votes. That does not bode well for the future for this party if they can't whip their own votes, right? And this isn't something that should be controversial. It's literally just keeping the lights on with, with the federal government. So, no, I, I mean, the, the question I have, and I think anybody watching Congress is what's going to give, you know, something's got to give because the Matt Gates and, you know, Freedom Caucus, you know, far right crazies aren't going to stop. And they're, they're not going to work with, with the, the majority of Republicans. So the only alternative is working with Democrats on things that, a majority of the Republican conference supports. And that's very controversial. You know, it, it's crazy that that's the case, but, you know, that's what we're talking about is is probably just having bills that are on suspension. So the suspension calendar means two-thirds, 290 votes. Uh, they don't have to pass a rule. They can just bring anything to the floor to get 290. And that's what we did for the CR. And I'm expecting that that's probably what we're going to do with so much of this stuff. It's They're going to have maybe a, a bare majority of Republicans and all the Democrats to get basic things done. I mean, this is just so crazy. I was listening to, I'm not going to plug another podcast, but it was actually quite interesting. And they were talking about how Mike Johnson has this Christian nationalist flag, this flag that is associated a lot with Christian nationalism. It's a white flag with a tree on it. And I'm wondering, you have to serve in Congress with these people. Mike Johnson is much more genteel than a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lauren Boper or a Matt, I mean, Matt Gates is little bit genteel too. But these people, you know, they want to destroy the government and they have some very out of line beliefs that are, you know, not shared by most of the country. I mean, is it hard to just go to work with these people? It's a pretty goofy group. It's the same clown car as before, just a different driver. I think the people who send us here expect us to to get things done and, and build those relationships. And, you know, I, I work really hard to build personal relationships with the Republicans who are willing to to work across the aisle. And there there certainly are some there. I'm part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, Democrats and Republicans. You know, we, we meet usually once a week to talk about bipartisan legislation. Hasn't been a lot of it, but I see it as my job to try to build those relationships so that when we have to do things like passing a, a CR or, or passing a budget or doing aid for Israel, there's there's some level of trust but it's really tough, especially when you look at their Twitter feeds and you look at the stuff that they say when they're out of out of Congress, because it's really dangerous and really out of the mainstream. But, you know, I think what we're seeing is people are standing up to this across the country. You know, we saw in Ohio, you know, huge numbers of people coming out for women's rights. 
we're going to continue to see that play out. And uh, we're just on the right side of these issues. And that's ultimately going to get through to the voters. Why do you think that North Carolina has been such a tough nut for Democrats to crack? We saw Georgia flip blue before North Carolina. I mean, that's wild. North Carolina is the only state I think people should be talking about this next election. It's the state that Trump won by the smallest amount and it's trending our way. You know, it's it is moving every election cycle you know, is, is getting better and better for Democrats statewide. They can they can gerrymander districts and they can do it in a brutally effective way, but they can't gerrymander the state. We're going to have the most competitive governor's race in the country. Our great attorney general, Josh Stein, uh, running against someone that, that makes MAGA Mike and the Republicans look tame in comparison, our attorney governor, Mark Robinson, he's just nuts. And it's the state that Biden's got to win. And from all that, you know, every, every indication we have, I've talked about it with with Biden myself, you know, they're going to be all in on North Carolina because they got to win the state if he's going to go back to Washington. So, you know, we will see a ton of spending. I think that matters. I think, you know, you're talking about other, you know, elections in the past. Obama won it the first time, didn't make the big investments in North Carolina the second time around and came really close. You know, that's one I think you talk to the, the people who were part of that campaign. I, I was, you know, a staffer and, you know, they'll tell you, yeah, if we if we'd done more in North Carolina, we probably could have gotten there. And, you know, Hillary was close. Biden was very close. And, uh, you know, I think on the state level, this stuff like gerrymandering, you know, we have a Republican supermajority in the legislature that's taken away women's rights, defunding public education. And those things will matter. Bathroom bill. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it, I mean, they continue to attack the LGBTQ community in, in just horrible ways. That all will matter in North Carolina, you know, in addition to the national issue of literally protecting democracy. I mean, that's the choice, you know, democracy or, or not with Trump and Biden. The thing I'm so struck by, and Dave Weigel from uh, Semaphore wrote a really smart piece about this. The Republicans really went crazy on social issues in a way that Americans don't want. And we saw that in Kentucky, like people don't want the government tracking women's periods. My approach is people just want people solving problems. They, they, they're tired of the demonizing groups attacking the LGBT community. And, and that, that was my takeaway too with the Kentucky race. You know, they're just, they're tired of it. They want both people focused on protecting rights, not taking them away. And, you know, that's, I think, a winning message. Yeah. So tell me what it looks like for you now in North Carolina. This gerrymander will go up the courts. I was pleasantly surprised that this very conservative Supreme Court did manage to slap back at Alabama. So it does seem like they are interested in, I mean, shockingly, they don't seem like they are letting these right-wing legislators have their way, or at least to a certain extent. Yeah, the, the courts, you know, we're, we're waiting on the courts to, to to weigh in before we make any choices. The, the district with my number on it went from an R plus two to an R plus 18. So that's just wow. totally unwinnable for a Democrat. It's off the chart in terms of Democrats who ever came close to winning a seat like that. So it's a, an unwinnable seat. But, you know, I think there's good legal arguments. And I just have this this hope as I kind of sit back here in Congress and watch the dumpster fire that is is the Republican conference. And, and I just have to think that John Roberts is sitting across the street at the Supreme Court watching it. And if he gets a map in front of him that's North Carolina, that's a really horrible gerrymander for Republicans, and then New York, that's could be a really horrible gerrymander for Democrats, you know, in control. And he takes them together and maybe we finally get a standard 
for how bad you can screw democracy with these maps. That's that's my my own hope. I think it makes sense in a lot of ways, but the lawyers, you know, are, are much more focused on you know very specific stuff with with racial gerrymandering, and we've had some success there. So interesting. I really appreciate getting to talk to you about this. It's such an important issue, and I hope that the courts break your way. Thanks. Anytime. I'm glad to talk. Excited to get to talk with you here. Uh, love love following you on Twitter Aww. as well. So usually once a month. Uh, you you tweet something and it's like, and it's like, that just made my day. So Aww. thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. Harry Lippman is a former U.S. attorney and host of the podcast, Talking Feds. Hi, Harry Lippman. Welcome to Fast Politics. Hi, Molly John Fast. Welcome to Talking Feds and another politics law mashup. I'm looking forward to being educated on some important (laughs) political questions that kind of uh, escape me. (laughs) I am looking forward to asking you the question you never get asked. Will Donald Trump go to jail? I never get asked that? Never, ever, ever. Certainly not every day, multiple times a day. All right, here's a scoop. Here's a scoop on Fast Time with Molly Young Fast. You know, I think he will. It's funny because, you know, you and I lived through Watergate. You can imagine some grand resolution of this national nightmare like them that would just get him the hell off the stage and keep him out of jail. But... Because of this real obsession with treating everyone alike, I think the chance for that has passed. The chance for someone like, who would it be, Biden or possibly Garland, to make that kind of grand uh, resolution as Ford did or arguably as they did with Agnew. He's now specifically in the stocks for in Georgia, where he can't pardon himself in New York, and not to mention the federal system. And I'm going to turn this on you pretty soon. But, you know, assuming he doesn't get elected. So I actually think the possibility that would have been concrete for him, you know, notwithstanding the bloodlust that many people feel for him staying out of jail because of the insistence that it be the sort of regular routine process, I think a train has started that can't stop. It might be paused. Were right. he to win the, the presidency, I think he could make the federal cases stand down and probably the Supreme Court would put a pause on the state cases, but just a pause now, you know, so it might depend on his longevity. But yeah, I actually think he's going to jail, you know, bad hair and lack of privacy and all. I do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think clearly the goal here is to beat back these indictments, right, to try to run out the clock, win reelection and pardon himself or, you know, do whatever he can. Well, okay. although I don't think he can pardon, but it doesn't matter because the federal ones will still be going on. He can make him stop. He can just announce DOJ stop this. It's still on appeal. But he'll have trouble on the state side. And of course, that's the big if, you know, were he to win. It's been a time for people who are concerned about his getting the reins again when he's he's promised, basically, to um, impose fascist rule and uh, shred the Constitution. 
you know, where there are all kinds of nervousness at the uh, among Biden's supporters. Do you credit the polls that have it as a toss up at best? And are you uh, I'm not asking your personal view, but your political analysis of, you know, there are a lot of pretty senior voices actually telling Biden this is the time to step aside, let someone else lead the ticket. How do you sort of handicap the chances of Trump's winning, assuming Biden and he are the matchup. So I'm going to push back on that and say... Oh, no fair. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And say, actually, there are not that many voices. Oh, okay. There's a feeling, I think, in the mainstream media, people would like to see a primary. But you never have a primary for an incumbent president. That's not how we do it. So the idea that we're going to have a primary because the guy is old is crazy. Okay, like you're going to give up incumbency because some people think he's old. It's just nuts. I would push back on that. And then I would say the fact that there has not been a serious primary, that the only person that could be found to run against him is Dean, whatever his name is, from (laughs) Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. No, actually, he's from uh, Minnesota. But, you know, he's a rich guy, rich, mediocre white guy who used to work in gelato. I mean, look, I love gelato. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. You gelato fans, don't write in, okay? This is in no way an indictment on gelato. I mean, it's like what I eat every day. 80% of my diet is gelato. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you that that guy is not a real serious political player. And he's been on this age thing forever. He tried to take down Nancy Pelosi. Ask him how well that went. Not that well. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'll just add, you know, there's objective indicia of how well, you know, how strong his record is. Our current podcast is with Paul Krugman, Stephanie Rule, Dean Baker. You know, the economic benchmarks are off the charts. And also there's a history of incumbents in the year before looking kind of vulnerable. Obama, Reagan, they told Reagan he was too old to run. W. Yeah. W, you know, so and I would say that, you know, I, I don't think that this is a statement on Biden. The other thing is, you know, Biden is in China. This is I would say like this is one of the worst times geopolitically in my lifetime. Right. We have just yeah. horrible, horrible stuff going on in much of the world. And uh, Biden is like this very normal white guy. He's old. He's the generic D. And so when you look at this polling, the people who do the best in all of these polls is the generic D. If you were to think about like people rallied behind him in the Democratic Party because he was the generic D. You know, you didn't look at him and think like this is, you know, the most liberal or even the most sort of cerebral. You know, he hearkened back to another time when politicians kind of disappeared behind the job. And, you know, part of what he ran on was this aggressive boringness. And I think it served him well. And I think it will serve him well again in 24. Yeah, you look at his bio. I mean, I think of him very much as a kitchen table Democrat with certain progressive strains. But you look at his bio and it feels like he came of age, you know, 15 minutes before the 60s. Uh, And he's really the last of a previous generation of basically 50s gray suit figures. There's a lot to be said for that, especially in the foreign policy world. But I'm very 
very, very, very relieved to hear your general analysis. So I don't have to, you know, plan on my move to New Zealand. Trump could still win. Anything could happen. But I just feel like there's two parts, right? There's a mainstream media that wants to have a traditional run up to a presidential it campaign. It wants a horse race, right? right? Yeah. And I think some of that is because it's very boring to have the same two people running against each other again. Then I think part of it is that Trump juiced our numbers, all of us. Trump was the big media juicer, and he happened to destroy democracy, try very hard to destroy democracy while he was doing it. There's both anxiety and some wish fulfillment when it comes to Trump. You know, people on the media side like the numbers. Do they like the fascism? I certainly hope not. But I think the numbers get a little addictive. All right. I want the TLDR on Georgia right now. Fanny Willis is sort of wrapping everybody up, right? How high does this go? Do you think this goes to Rudy? Do you think this goes to Trump? Explain. I see this as basically a six-person case right now. The six would be and sort of four-level. Trump, Meadows and Giuliani, probably Eastman and Clark, and then David Schaefer, who's the most guilty of the Georgia electors. So let me tell you what I mean. She's given out these, you know, flurry of plea deals, real sweetheart deals, non-custodial time deals. There are the flurry of others to go because the general calculation, given how she charged it, is it's a very, very expensive defense to make over half a million, maybe more. And the, you know, they're looking at really serious charges. So obviously Trump is the jewel in the crown for her and you don't offer a deal to him. Giuliani, I don't think you offer a deal, A, because he's very culpable, and especially in Georgia, he goes down and tells all kinds of horseshit about Georgia to Ruby Moss and Che Freeman. Plus, he's a disaster witness. You couldn't use him for anything anyway. And then Mark Meadows at this point, I think, has nowhere to go with her. So I think those three are, are really in the hot seat. And when it comes to it, very, very expensive defense. I think Giuliani's only sort of play is to try to get Trump to fund it as much as he can. Trump's going to give him, you know, a fundraiser in Christmas. I don't see much more. But it's just a matter of time, I think, for those three. And the push will come to shove when a new trial date is set, which could happen as soon as December 1st. The judge has is having a new hearing. I got to say, I was perplexed that after being ready to go in a week and uh, one trial for everybody that Fonnie Willis said two days ago, uh, it's going to take till 2025, among other things, that takes the immediate pressure off if that's the stance she holds to. Others think that that's possible, but it hasn't been her so far. Anyway, to me, the important triggering event will be setting of a trial, same as it was for Chesbro and Powell that got those others started. David Schaefer, I think, is toast also, but in a Georgia way. Remember, she's a Georgia elected DA. And so Meadows and Giuliani and, you know, I think you can say Jeff Clark, who what what did he want to do? He wanted to get the DOJ to lie and tell right. Georgia there was fraud right. in the Georgia vote. Right. She's, you know, going to really exact uh, a penalty for that. So I think you'll see the electors plead out. You'll have that kind of, of package. And the evidence is pretty strong. You know, I, I think, however, once you get above, once you get to the Meadows, Giuliani, Trump level, we already know they haven't been offered pleas so far and there have been overtures to others. I don't think they're they're going to be. 
So whether it's, you know, by summer or by, as she says, 2025, I think those three at a minimum, probably with Schaefer are sitting for trial. My best guess is Eastman and Clark, too. And my best guess, they're going down. But Trump, no. Trump, yes. Why Trump, yes? Because he is guilty, because the evidence against, against him is very strong, because the people who are going to cooperate, the most valuable thing they can do is evidence against Trump, like Jenna Ellis. You know, we know she's going to provide yeah, that... from a week ago. Now, why no? Because they're, you know, it's Georgia, the purplest of states, and the hope will be for some jury nullification person, you know, pro-Trump person to have a hung jury. I think an acquittal's out of the question, and she'd probably retry it. So with the caveat, the asterisk that if he becomes president, he's going to start an investigation against her. There are ways that, you know, bets could be off. But yeah, I think I think he'll he he will go down, Molly, before, you know, more assuredly than the others, because he is the number one target here. You can imagine a, a state of affairs where Meadows pleads and testifies against Trump. You cannot imagine the reverse. Right. That makes sense. Meadows has been sort of walking this line where he's kind of gives just enough but not enough to be helpful everywhere except in Georgia. Can you explain that? He's got the best lawyers in the whole game here, both his regular and his. He's got the guy who does the writing and it's just it's just taught. And they've been pretty adroit so far, you know, got him out of the hot water with Congress. That was quite a feat. Got him out of the hot water with Smith in the January 6th case. He's not even a co-conspirator. He's not one of the six. He testifies, but not with any kind of deal. That was quite uh, a feat, I thought, also. And then he plays a big gambit of trying to get removal in Fulton County. Here's where I think he's going to hit the brick wall. And at that point, you know, he's. The, I think he cannot, in this slalom course he's running, make this last gate and he's going to sprawl badly. But I, th- I think Fulton County is where he comes to an end. And again, he at that point, you know, might well want to plead, but I don't think they're giving for a guy of his culpability. They're going to be giving out, you know, these sort of non-custodial sentences as they've given to the crackpot lawyers, as Mike <laughs> Pence put it. <laughs> 50 years ago last month, your mother, Erica Jong, it's not a joke. I mean, I, this is a really serious question to you, yes, Molly, as a, yes, as a person. Yes. She published Fear of Flying. How has that novel and that and you know, and her kind of incandescent success, at least then with it, shaped your life? Well, I mean, that is, you know, again, an unknowable question, but certainly had a lot of advantages because of my mother's success. I mean, the book, it was published in 1973. 50 years ago, right? Yeah, the year that Roe was passed. And I was not born until 1978. So I was negative five. But I do think it changes the calculus of your life in innumerable ways. I had tons of advantages that I would not have had. But there's a downside. No, my mom was modestly famous. She was a lawyer, a successful one and a pioneer. And, you know, among other things, it made the question of my becoming a lawyer both on everyone's lips and also made it feel like I wouldn't really match that success. And, you know, I mean, it's a complicated psychological situation having such a successful mom, no? 
I mean, it's still better than living in a war zone. And there's a lot of real adversity in this world. But yes, I mean, for sure, it created complicated dynamics in my life. But I don't think of myself as, you know, I, I really was so lucky. Was it fun? It wasn't that fun because, you know, my mom was an alcoholic. Our lives were very um, fraught. But it was fun in the fact that, like, I got to go to a lot of places and see a lot of things. And But it was a very lonely and sad childhood. I mean, I was an only child and my mom was terrified of being a mother because she felt that it had destroyed her mother's life. So there were all sorts of weird things that caused caused her a lot of suffering. She also was a deeply tormented person who was wildly unhappy. You know, it's funny because it's like... So funny. So many artists and writers, it's a shame. It's it's what I, it's what I almost, it was my childhood ambition. In reality, man, it's a tough world for artists. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it a tough world? I think we're very fucking lucky. Uh, no, I think genuine but, artists you know, and writers have yeah. it tough is what I'm saying. Or they're often unhappy. Yes. Thanks for that. I'm sure your fans would thank you. You've written a lot about the GOP, uh, you know, many dwarves uh, phenomenon. Why are they all trying to ride the Trumpism wave? What's wrong? And I mean, seriously, what's wrong with the Republican Party in that sense? And is it clear to you that nobody but nobody but nobody, Nikki Haley, but nobody has any shot at the nomination other than Donald Trump come hell or high water? I was talking to morning, Joe, this morning. I was talking to Joe and Mika about this. If Republicans wanted to, Nikki Haley, and again, this is in no way an endorsement of Nikki Haley. I don't agree with her. You're an analyst. All this polling, which, you know, is so fraught, like people like her. She seems electable. There's a case to be made for her electability. And yet this Republican Party cannot, for the life of themselves, shake themselves from Donald Trump. And they know that Trump has an irretractable hold on the base. And so they can't do anything. So if tomorrow every Republican donor, the sort of very big donors and all the, you know, Jeff Rose, all those people went and said, we are going to support Nikki Haley. This is it. If the sort of top down and the RNC chair, all the people who have never been brave ever and who have continually, you know, supported and enabled Trump and Trumpism, if those people all said tomorrow, we are getting behind Nikki Haley, I still don't think that the base would go along with it. And I still think they would have no chance and they would just, I mean, their whole anxiety here with these Republican, you know, the sort of Republican elites is that they cannot get the base away from Donald Trump, which, okay. my question is, in four years or even in two years, do you guys think Donald Trump is going away? Because I do not. I don't think if he loses, he says, "Okay, obviously, I've had a few shots at this. I'm done. I think this guy drags the whole party to zero. I just don't see a world in which these people keep sort of thinking that Trump is going to magically go away. And I, I just don't I don't see that happening. It feels so true, just as my layperson view from, you know, I, starting in Access Hollywood. Well, that's it. And definitely at January 6th. That's it. And shit, here we are. Hey, can we do this next month? This yes. is fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. 
Molly Jong Fest, that document we've all been waiting for, the George Santos ethics report dropped today, and my bet is he's doomed since the only reason he didn't get expelled last time was uh, that this hadn't dropped yet. Who's Janet? Janet Yellen is proposing taxing people like me to death. I'm reading a text <laughs> from the Santos text. Janet Yellen is, protect, is proposing taxing people like me to death. I can't move, would wake up. Who is Janet? And then the other person texting him makes a sad face. She's the Secretary of Treasury. Congratulations, ladies and gentlemen. Not only is George Santos a complete and utter fraudster, he also had no idea who Janet Yellen was. That's kind of a big matzo ball right there. Also, I would like to add, at no point... Does Representative Santos appear to have owned a Maserati despite telling comp campaign staff otherwise? Also, I would like to add he spent $4,500 at Hermes. That was campaign money. And for that, he is our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash you know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.